0: saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Brady and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Today is Thursday, October the 14th, and this next hour we gather around the inspired and true word of God in the last chapter of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 27. What a ride it is. We've got through it. I know I have many people... Tell me you're going to do what book again? When was that last done on Thy Strong Word or the Bible study before it? But we made it to this point. What a ride. And tomorrow we actually will have a review. We started with an overview with Dr. Don Kleinig, and we'll end with a review tomorrow with Dr. Leonard Payton from Forest Park, Illinois. Because it is such, such a book that is so rich, so full, and has so much information, what a great way to end, of course, pointing us back to Christ. And today, it gives us a reminder, and I would argue about stewardship, about vows, the sanctuary, the church, how do we support it, and what does it point us to, which obviously is Jesus. The gifts are ready ready for you. Thy Strong Word is generously underwritten by our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation. To support their work and find out more information, visit lhfmissions.org. To help us be strengthened by God's Word, we welcome back regular guest Pastor Tom Eckstein of Concordia Lutheran Church in Jamestown, North Dakota. Pastor Eckstein, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Hey, great to be back. Yeah, so Pastor Eckstein, tell me what's going on. I think last time we had you on was in June, I believe, if I'm writing in my records. So what's going on for you, your family, and the saints at Concordia?
1: Well, things are going well. It's just been crazy the last couple months, though, with different things, either with the church or or my own life and travel. Um, Right now, if people listening can kind of keep us in in our prayers, though, my, my wife is actually in Texas right now. Uh, taking care of her elderly mother who's having some health problems. And so I'm up here holding down the fort, also taking care of our uh, special needs daughter. But thankfully I have the help of like local respite care and things like that. But uh, uh, other than that little challenge in our life right now, things are going well. We're all healthy, except for my mother-in-law and uh, the Lord's been good to us. Well,
0: what's going on at Concordia?
1: Oh, things are going well uh, there. We, we continue uh, to kind of, uh, uh, come out of the whole, uh, uh, you know, the challenges that we faced from COVID, which we're still in, we're not out of the woods on that yet. Uh, but, uh, we have, uh, lots of good stuff going on in the fall. We just started our new confirmation program and, uh, um, uh, getting ready to plan. We, we just had our recent council meeting, planning our, our budget for the next year. And we have a a, a, a few things we're, we're looking forward to doing. Uh, uh, the one thing we had to, plan for uh, with some extra expenses we we're planning to send about 14 youth to the national youth gathering next summer Wonderful. so we're, we're, we're excited about that but of course there's a price tag that comes with that so it seems like we're having a fundraiser every other month so but anyway yes, we're, we're looking forward to sending them there so
0: you know, that's a great, that's a wonderful reminder to you, our listeners to pray for our National Youth Gathering, which happens this next summer. Um, to pray for all pastors and all teachers, DCEs and whomever that helps teach confirmation. Last night, and one of I mean, I have to admit, one of my favorite joys of ministry is teaching confirmation. And yeah. now I have two of my own kids in confirmation. So I wanna I wanna hear your thoughts about this. Is last night we were going through Genesis, and we, I usually start the year with that. And we're going through Genesis, and and one of the one of the young people, and I love the questions. Says, so where's the Garden of Eden now? And I said, we don't know. You're kind of looking at the rivers, Euphrates. You're looking at the Tigris. You're looking all. We don't. But at the end of the day, we just don't know. And he said, what if? And he went down about ten different things, and he ended with, what if Garden of Eden is under the ground? And I said, okay, we need to move on. This is going too far. So any, do you have similar similar I think similar things happen to you in confirmation? Or is it just me? No,
1: no, uh, I do. We um, uh, and I try to distinguish between. You know, you have to learn to read your youth. Okay, is this a sincere question, or is he just trying to, uh, you know, manipulate the situation? You know, but. Um, uh, but, you know, you opened up Pandora's box here because I, I promise I'll be brief. But uh, uh, confirmation is a big uh, thing for me in the sense that I, 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 I really believe we need to redo the way we had traditionally done it. So if you don't mind, I'm going to just briefly explain how I do it. Um, I, I I have a confirmation program. First of all, I have the parents attend every class. Because uh, I, I believe the parents, one thing we've been weak on in the last few decades is parents need to get back to being the primary, you know, faith nurturers of their children. And then uh, I also have a lot of different work that I assign to parents and youth that they do during the week. Uh, for example, I, in addition to coming to classes with their children, I have parents work through several parent youth Bible studies that has a uh, memory work associated with it. And, uh, and so they work on that together. So they're actually studying God's word together at home, rather than, you know, the traditional drop the kids off. So the pastor can teach him at class, you know, mm-hmm. and then uh, one thing I have changed is I, I, I eliminated the, you know, all eighth graders get confirmed in may type of thing. And, and instead we just have an individualized confirmation program where I, I confirm youth, on an individual basis, when they're willing and ready, when 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 they're uh, when they've finished all the various components of our confirmation program, I, I've confirmed youth as young as sixth grade. I've confirmed them as late as senior in high school. Uh, but you know, when, when they've completed the work and are actually willing to do it and take it seriously, uh, we confirm them. But but the big part is that we have the parents intricately involved in the whole process.
0: That's wonderful and a great reminder for us. Yeah, as the catechism says, is how the household should teach in a simple way. Um, and that's just a reminder for us, because let's be honest, a lot of the times where our greatest formation happens is those conversations you have with your parents. And what better way than for them to be surrounded by the Word of God? So yeah. um Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Uh and, and reminder to our, our uh, to our listeners to pray for our confirmants, pray for our pastors, pray for parents as they join in that teaching. But today, Pastor, we're here to study Leviticus twenty seven, which I'm sure you always are studying during confirmation. Um but we look at it today. Can you begin our time in prayer?
1: Absolutely. Uh Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we thank you for all the many blessings you give us and And even during this challenging year and a half with COVID, uh, we're reminded uh, that that you allow us to go through trials and difficulties only to remind us how much we need you and and to call us to repentance and faith in you. But we thank you that even during this this challenging time, you've been merciful and, and, and continue to provide for our needs. Uh, Lord, as we get ready to study today's chapter in Leviticus, the very end of the book, help us to see how, as people who've been set free by your forgiveness and love and your Son, that that we have the joy— in participating in supporting the work of your church, Uh, uh, you working through us uh, to uh, continue the Great Commission. And so uh, open our hearts and, and minds today as we study your word that we might be taught by your truth. In your name we pray.
0: Amen. Amen. Reminder to listeners, if you have any questions concerning Leviticus 27, or really, as we get to the end, anything about Leviticus, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, or call us, 314-821-0850. And Pastor, we are at the end, and so how do you want to begin as we come to the end? What, what kind of highlights do you have for us?
1: Well, um, first of all, I, I, you just went through Leviticus twenty-six, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, boy, that that's an intense chapter to go through, as you know. <laughs> yes, <that's true. laughs> you know, God starts out by saying, "Hey, if if you follow me in repentance and faith, you know, this is how things will go." But boy, if you start thumbing your nose at me and turn away from me, and and uh, God says, "I'm just going to lower the boom," and uh, and if you don't repent, things will go from bad to worse. It's like when you're done reading that, you're going, "Ooh." But then, you know, as, as you probably remember, Leviticus 26 ends with, "But even after a period of, of 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 rejecting me, if 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 you're moved to repent and trust in me for salvation, I, I will forgive you and, and restore you." And and so it, it does end with the gospel, a reminder that we have a God who who loves us and and forgives us. And 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 does everything he can to to draw us to himself, that we might live in his love. And I think that is how we need to understand uh, chapter twenty-seven uh, at this point. That that as people who have been redeemed, and and you know it's interesting throughout the book of Leviticus, God is constantly referencing the fact that hey, I redeemed you from Egypt. I, I, I rescued you from bondage in Egypt, and uh, and and that that actually is 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 a picture of the the even bigger exodus uh, of Jesus liberating us, redeeming us from the bondage of our own slavery. Uh, to sin, and and I think you see that scene here even in Leviticus that that there's more to the Exodus than simply being liberated from physical slavery. It, it's it's bigger than that. God liberating us from our own bondage to sin, and and so in that freedom of the gospel, uh, that that we now have communion with our Creator God through His Son, um, we now have the joy of, of supporting uh, the ongoing. Um, uh, a work of his church. And of course, in the Old Testament, that that was pictured by the various things going on in the temple, which of course is ultimately fulfilled in Christ.
0: And that's I I love how you put that down back to our identity as ones redeemed by the Lord. And in verse 45 of chapter 26, this is where Pastor Shank and I spoke about this significantly. He just brought it back to me is that he remembered the covenant with their forefathers. So yeah. we have that just that renewal of remembering that not only we need the remembering, but God remembers his covenant with his people. And so that, that's a great identity marker. And I have to admit this, too. I read 27 through, and I'm kind of like, okay, it's about vows. And then I read through some commentaries. I was like, wait, this is actually about stewardship. And how we would look at the upkeeping of his church as one redeemed and as one that the Lord remembers his grace and covenant for us, so um yeah, so I, that's it opened up the floodgates for me, and you reaffirmed it again today. Anything else you want to highlight before we begin?
1: Um, uh, the only other comment is that and we'll get into this uh, as we go through chapter twenty seven is that here we see that that uh, the Almighty God who created everything out of nothing uh, chooses to work uh, through us to support his church. And, you know, uh, I, I've talked to my members about this. I said, you know, why do we give? Why, why, why do we support Christ church? I mean, God uh, uh, could, uh, could just create a, a church building on a nothing. God could give us everything we need by his divine power. Why, why does he need us? <laughs> but he chooses to work through us. He, he chooses to um, move us to support the work of his church. It's still God's work, but he's using us to do it. And uh, you know, one of the reasons I think is that he's shaping and forming us to learn to be giving people like Christ um you know you know god could just miraculously and immediately provide for all our needs you know without any involvement from us but but he uses us as his instruments um uh, uh because w- w- we're created in his image we're, we're 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 working with him and he's also teaching us uh by by learning to be giving people who give out of love and in response to salvation, we've been given. He's shaping us to be like Christ. Who I think of how Paul says it since you mentioned stewardship. You know, in Second Corinthians chapter eight, he talks about how you know, be like Christ. You know, even though he was rich in in you know the all his glory from eternity, he willingly Gave of himself became poor, so that others might become rich. And and, mm-hmm. and the whole idea is that 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 a proper understanding of giving is never to be viewed as something we do out of fear, or or or, or worse yet, the idea that we're meriting something from God, you know, bribing him. But but it simply flows from who we are in Christ. Uh, uh, chapter twenty seven is really about the, the joy we have as redeemed people in supporting. Uh, the work of the temple, willingly and joyfully, because that's the place where we continue to have communion with God and where He feeds us and serves us.
0: Wonderful. So let's let's dig in, because it, it, we have to make sure we have the right terms and the right ideas written down, and it really helps to start with 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 about generosity and to see it in that light. So um, are we ready? You want to get going? Absolutely. All right, chapter 27, reminder to our listeners, we'll be reading from the English Standard Version of Holy Scripture, starting in verse 1, and we'll go through verse 8. The Lord God spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, If anyone makes a special vow to the Lord Yahweh involving the valuation of persons, then the valuation of a male from 20 years old up to 60 years old shall be 50 shekels of silver, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. If a person is a female, the valuation shall be 30 shekels. If the person is from five years old up to 20 years old, the valuation shall be for a male 20 shekels, and for a female 10 shekels. If the person is from the month old up to five years old, the valuation shall be for a male five shekels of silver, and for a female, the valuation shall be three shekels of silver if the person is six years old or over, then the valuation for a male shall be 15 shekels, and for a female, 10 shekels. And if someone is too poor to pay for the valuation, then he shall be made to stand before the priest, and the priest shall value him. The priest shall value him according to what the vower can afford. Now, Pastor, right, right from the beginning, we can really get lost in the weeds. So how do, we, oh, how do no. we keep centered on the focus here, which is, like you said, the, the generosity of God's people, not necessarily, why are men worth more than women, or something along those lines? What do you have?
1: Oh, well, exactly. And I'm glad you brought that up, because, you know, <laughs> boy, feminists would have a heyday with this, you know. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, it's important to realize that in the bigger picture of Scripture, uh, uh, people are, all, are intrinsically valuable to God, and it doesn't matter how old you are or what you're, whether you're male or female. You know, we're all loved by God. But but the essential point here is is again that people are giving. Uh, willing offerings to God, because one, one distinction I, I want to I bring up between these offerings here in Leviticus 27 and the offerings that, you know, you covered in the first chapters of Leviticus, mm-hmm. is that, you know, in, in early Leviticus, there are some offerings that are simply required, that in, at least in the Old Testament uh, context, uh, th- there are certain offerings that are expected and, and required. Whereas here, uh, the offerings here are, are are not in any way, shape, or form to man oh my God, but people are giving them willingly. And in light of those willing offerings out of love, there, there 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 is some regulation, and that's what we're getting at here. If if people willingly devote a person, and and we don't know all the details surrounding that, uh, what what does it mean to give an offering of a person? It may mean that a person is dedicated to serving the temple somehow. Supporting the priesthood. And then uh, the information we're getting here is that if you want to, to, to buy the person back, to, 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 to bring them back, then they're saying, okay, since you gave this as a willing offering to the Lord, the idea is that you wanted to support the work of the temple with these people. Then if you want to redeem these people, you know, this is how much it will cost to do that based on the person's um uh worth as far as what they can contribute. So again this has nothing with the, the to do with the person's the person's inherent value as a human being that that is something that is equal before God regardless of who you are or how old you are. This is about you know what is the value of what you can contribute? so so obviously a, a little child is not going to be worth as much as a as a strong man in his 20s and and things like that but again the, the 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 essential point here is is that you give a willing offering to the lord and um and now if you want to buy the person back you know the the, the way to continue that willing offering to the lord is to regulate what what the value of these persons are so that's what is going on
0: yeah, that that is definitely not explained in the text well. So if I if I hear you correctly, I just want to make sure I have this correct in my own mind is that a person had um, had devoted this person to the service to the Lord. So maybe like Samuel, given to the Lord in First Samuel, exactly. something along those lines. Very good. And yeah, and so they were given to the Lord to service in his kingdom, and then they wanted them back. Um, And it was kind of like, okay, well, here's the offering you, you can give to the Lord to have them back. And, you know, it doesn't appear that, you know, that there's really like some legal, there's some real strong language here of if you don't pay the right amount, then this, this, and that, you're going to be thrown in prison or something. But definitely, this is a willing offering that you've already willingly yeah. given them to the Lord. Now you have this willing offering and then just kind of say, OK, this would be the valuation. Um, the priest, my goodness, they were busy guys. I mean, not only did yeah. they have to do all these offerings, now they got a value. and Look at a guy and say, that guy's worth 20 seconds. No, he's 15. No, he's five. I mean, it's just it, quite the job to be a priest in those days. Any thoughts on any yeah. of that?
1: Yeah, I'm glad I don't have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So then, well, any uh, other thoughts? Like you meant- Go ahead. You mentioned about, you know, not getting lost in the weeds because it can be really tempting, you know, for people, or I should say not so much tempting as confusing. You look at all these intricate details and you wonder, well, how does this all apply to us today? And you have to remember all all these, uh, you you know, the minutia of these regulations have been set aside now that Christ has come. you know the mm-hmm. all, all these old Testament civil and ceremonial laws no longer apply to us today, but the general principle does, and that is stewardship uh the yeah. idea that that we uh, give a willing offering and, and and I think the point is is that if we actually give a willing offering um, we we should we should uh, be willing to be committed to it. Um, and and not play games with God. Uh, one example I think of from the New Testament is Ananias and Sapphira. You know, mm-hmm. uh, no one told them that they were obligated to give that gift. uh they, they, they could do something, uh, give that gift freely from their hearts. But as you know, I don't want to get too much into that to, to get sidetracked. But but you know, Ananias and Sapphira were were uh, the, their, their 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 guilt, their sin was not. That they didn't give enough because they were free to give anything their sin was that they were playing games with god they they lied to the holy spirit they they were giving in such a way as virtue signaling when in fact they were actually holding back what they had actually promised And, and and so i think what we're getting at here in leviticus 27 is you're free to give an offering to the lord and 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 do it in sincerity and and with the idea that you're gonna do your best to be true to that offering because this, this is not about virtue signaling. This is not about trying to buy something from God. It's simply an offering of love. And and we should try to be to take our, our promises of love seriously. It's almost like the marriage vow. You know, no one forces mm-hmm. me to get married. I I I'm not required. But once I make that vow to my wife, uh uh, I should take it seriously. I should take my promises of love seriously,
0: and I like how you said that connecting it to marriage because that was something that kept coming up in my mind is part of it is okay if you're gonna if you're gonna have if you're gonna uh, vow your your child or you're gonna vow someone in your life to the work of the church, then you have to think about this because this is how much it will cost later, you know, not cost, but this is the vow you'll make later. And so it at least makes people think about the seriousness of it, along with the opportunity to be a, as a child of God, the free and gracious activity to give as our Lord has already given to us. So it, it is serious. They're definitely showing the seriousness of when you do make a vow, but then laying down the groundwork of saying, okay, let's let's support the church. Let's make sure that this is being focused in the right way. So, so Pastor, and, I want yeah, to get through... Go ahead. Well, I Go want to ahead. make
1: a brief addition, though, to give a gospel component to this. Even Please. though we are to take our promises of love seriously, we, we do have a God that is merciful in the sense that he understands there are extenuating circumstances. For example, in mm-hmm. verse 8, we mm-hmm. realize if there's a poor person, who, you know, uh, his circumstances are that, that he really can't afford to pay what the person is actually worth, uh, then it's interesting. The, the priest says, well, I'll, I'll let him pay what he can afford. And I think of uh, situations yep. where maybe Christians, and, and I think I want to take this load of guilt off some Christians, where they might say, boy, I've decided out of love for Christ, I'm going to give X percentage of my income to God. And uh, But then suddenly, maybe a year or two down the road, a, a tragedy happens in their life, maybe a huge medical crisis, or maybe they lose their job like some people did during COVID. And now suddenly, uh, I can't give this percentage anymore, or I'm going to not have money to pay the mortgage or buy food. God is merciful in those situations. You know, it's one thing to be flippant and not take your promises seriously. It's another thing when we end up in a crisis, God is merciful in those cases. And I think you see that reflected in in how God deals with the poor people here. You know, He, he he's willing to show mercy and compassion in those cases.
0: And that's a common theme throughout Leviticus that has really struck me, is that there were moments where like, okay, if you're going to make this kind of offering, this requires this but then it would make these, you know, the reality of some people can't afford that lamb or that steer or whatever it might be. And so then there was the option of the triddle doves. Um, there's the land and the uh, the Sabbath year and all this, that not only was this for you and for your servants, but also for the sojourners and the poor, that they could go out and, and receive that food as well, that the Lord was gracious throughout, and as you said, merciful to the people, um, depending, not depending upon um, what vow they made, but according to what, what they had at that time. So that, that is a really good reminder. Thank you, Pastor. We have about two minutes before our break. I want to get through verse 13 and get your thoughts sure. uh, as we move forward. So now we move to animals. If the vow is an animal that may be offered as an offering to the Lord Yahweh, all that he gives to the Lord Yahweh is holy. He shall not exchange it or make a substitute for it, good for bad or bad for good. And if he does, in fact, substitute one animal for another, then both it and the substitute shall be holy. And if it is any unclean animal that may not be offered as an offering to the Lord Yahweh, then he shall stand the animal before the priest, and the priest shall value it either good or bad. As the priest values it, so it shall be. But if he wishes to redeem it, he shall add a fifth to the valuation. So, past we have about a minute left. It turns to animals. What are your thoughts?
1: Well, once again, and uh, you know, uh, here God isn't, I've actually heard one person once say, oh, uh, God uh, is thinking of people like animals. You can you know, send animals to the temple. You can send uh, people to the temple. Well, no, no, mm. no. That, that, that's not the point. That's being made here at all. Humans are created in God's image. But, 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 uh, just as you can devote somebody to serve God's temple, who's a human being here, uh, animals can, can be given in support uh, of the temple, whether it be, you know, uh, to uh, um, be, be used for, for various things like uh, tilling the ground or, or, or for sacrifices or just for food. Uh, but here again, it, it's the idea that, that everything belongs to the Lord, but here we're willingly giving something that God has given us for the support of his temple. And again, these are are not required uh, unlike some of the other animal sacrifices that were required. These are given freely and willingly to the, to the support of God's temple. And then what you just read are simply the regulations associated with that.
0: Yeah, and that's a great that's a great point cuz you know, don't don't give me this animal, and then try to trade it later. And don't do this, don't do that. And then, but none of it is saying "do this or else" kind of language. It says, if your vow's right. an animal, here's the regulations. Here's how we go at this. The fifth of the valuation. You know, if you're going to buy this back, then it should be twenty percent more. All these kind of right. realities of of supporting the church is a free and gracious activity and rules that we all have. But right now, Pastor, we need to take our break as we move forward to Leviticus chapter 27. Um, We're studying Leviticus with Pastor Tom Eckstein. We'll be right back. And welcome back. We are studying Leviticus chapter 27 with Pastor Tom Eckstein of Concordia Lutheran Church in Jamestown, North Dakota. And Pastor, I am, I am reminded of the hymn that we will often play and sing when we are taking an offering. We give thee but thine own, whatever the gift may be, all that we have is thine alone. A trust, O Lord, from thee. And yeah. this goes back to numerous occasions in the scriptures, it's Leviticus, especially, where it says, The land is mine. I mean, this is mine. And and God's not trying to be flippant, like, hey, it is mine, not yours, ha ha ha. But more of, you know what? I give this graciously to you, and then we graciously give back. To love for him and for love for others, which is exactly why we give to the church, so that others may receive the gracious gifts of our Lord. So any, any thoughts on that hymn or other ideas of what we do today as we look at our text um, today?
1: Well, I, I'm glad you brought out hymn. You know, when, when we say we give thee but thine own, you know, I, as Christians, we really need to be constantly reminded of that, especially in our materialistic society. Um, And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being blessed with prosperity as we are in America, but there's a reason Jesus warned against riches, not because money in and of itself or riches in and of itself is evil, but that because of our sinful nature, it can so easily become a God. (laughs) And uh, I think, you know, the saying we give thee but by own is a constant reminder to us Christians that, hey, all all this stuff that our culture says is so important, you know, um, uh, we dare not start thinking, hey, uh, this is mine, or I I have a right to this, or I'm entitled to this, or, you know, "I, I, I earned this with the work of my own two hands, so it's mine to do with as I please. You know, as Christians, we don't think that way because even though we may earn our money and uh you know by our work you know who gave us our bodies who gave us our ability to work you know who gave us our health who gave us our skill you know what do we have that we have not been given and and so as christians we we realize that that uh, uh everything we have is ultimately uh holy to the lord belongs to him and so we are to use it in a way that honors him and glorifies Him. So whenever I, uh, you know, do sing that hymn, we give thee but my own as a reminder to me, hey, you know, I need to repent of the times that I have used stuff as though it was mine to do with as I please, rather than thinking, you know, how do I use this in a way that honors God? So I think that, that hymn is very important for that reason.
0: So as we look at the first 13 verses, we've seen Living things. okay. so human beings, animals, so forth. And now we make a transition in 14 um, throughout the time where it gets to land um, it gets to uh, uh, house, houses and so forth. So I just want to make sure that we're as we looked at the first 13 verses, is there anything else you want to highlight before we get to houses and land? I don't think so. I think we're ready to go on. All right. So let's move forward. We'll be doing verses 14. I think I'll go all the way through 25, 14 through 25. When a man dedicates his house as a holy gift to the Lord, the priest shall value it as either good or bad, as the priest values it, so it shall stand. And if the donor wishes to redeem his house, he shall add a fifth to the valuation price, and it shall be his. If a man dedicates to the Lord Yahweh part of the land that is his possession, then the valuation shall be in the proportion to its seed. A homer of barley seed shall be valued at 50 shekels of silver. If he dedicates his field from the year of Jubilee, the valuation shall stand. But if he dedicates his field after the Jubilee, then the priest shall calculate the price according to the years that remain until the year of Jubilee, and a deduction shall be made from the valuation." And if he who dedicates the field wishes to redeem it, then he shall add a fifth to its valuation price, and it shall remain his. But if it does not wish to redeem the field, or if he has sold the field to another man, it shall not be redeemed anymore. But the field, when it is released into jubilee, shall be a holy gift to the Lord, like a field that has been devoted. The priest shall be in possession of it. If he dedicates to the Lord a field that he has bought, which is not part of his possession... Then the priest shall calculate the amount of the valuation for it up to the year of Jubilee. Then the man shall give the valuation on the day as a holy gift to the Lord. In the year of Jubilee, the field shall return to him from whom it was bought, to whom the land belongs as a possession. Every valuation shall be according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Twenty geras shall be made. Make a shekel. Now, Pastor, this is the part where I started feeling like I get it because in my own uh, life as a pastor, and historically I've seen this quite a bit, where someone from the congregation says, I will give a part of my land. Or there was a church that supported me during seminary that someone had given 10 acres to the church that every year that they produced a crop that that land right there would go all to the church. And that was a very big focus for this farmer that was supposed to be done in perpetuity, you know, forever. And so I've seen these things. I haven't seen the dedication of an animal. No one's brought me a cow and brought it to the door anytime, but people have donated their land. So this one made sense. Any thoughts on, on these verses?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, and and people often wonder. Especially confusing is, you know, uh, like uh, how does a house fit into this? You know, and um, you know, it, it doesn't really spell that out in the text. I guess we could speculate. Maybe we could imagine that one of the Levitical Levitical priests would live there, or or maybe uh, we think of a parsonage for a pastor, you know, or 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 maybe the, the house could be rented out and then the money given to the church um you know who knows the point is is that whether it's the house or especially the land of the crops that were grown there it, it, it was understood that the money that would normally come from that to go to me now now goes to the work of, of the church and uh we see that happening in our modern world uh different scenarios of course but like you said you know whether it's a farmer saying hey the 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 money that comes from the crops of this land goes to the church or or someone might uh you know, um, get a life insurance policy, but make the church the beneficiary, or mm-hmm. or, or someone might uh, write the church in their will. We, that that has happened a lot uh, in various congregations where someone passes away, and then then the church finds out, oh, they left this much of their estate to the church, and so uh, we see that kind of thing going on here.
0: And so looking at this, you have the house, you have the land, and it it just, from what I'm experiencing as I'm reading this, is simply saying they dedicate it and then the, the priest is trying to figure out how much it's worth, looking at the land, looking at all the details of Shekels and Gera and everything else in between. And then they're trying to figure out, okay, 50 years is a year of Jubilee. Um, depending upon when you did that, this would be the price. This would be there. I mean, there's a lot of details, like a lot of lawyer ease, if I can say it that way. So it, 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 it can be kind of lost in the weeds. But the big thing is, and tell me if this is, if I'm right, is I give this to the Lord and now we're just trying to figure out how the dollars and cents all work out. Is that basically what's happening here? Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm.
1: And, it, and I, think, I think the principle comes down to this is that you've made a promise and, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and uh, unless there's extenuating circumstances, which we've already talked about that, you should be uh, take your promise seriously. And so th- these various regulations are just a way of, of holding people accountable to their promises. You know, it's like, okay, you you promised to do this. This is how we're going to regulate to make sure that the value you wanted to give is actually given.
0: Now, I want to talk about stewardship in one level here, and it's it's not a matter of the numbers. It's a matter of faith. It's a matter of of, um, looking to Christ as we give. And one example is given, and I want to hear your thoughts, because you live in North Dakota. I live in Minnesota. We're not necessarily right in the middle of farmland, but we, we, we are surrounded by it in many ways. That one pastor um, wrote, wrote about how he viewed stewardship was, it was like a farmer goes and takes all of his grain and he puts it into his truck and he's on his way to the grain elevator. And on his way to the grain elevator, he stops at the church, drops off 10% or whatever percentage that they would want to give, and he would drop it off on the, on the front uh, in the parking lot Drop that off there for the church to be able to sell as they may. And then he goes and takes the rest and goes, you know, and, and makes his money that way. Now, I'm not, this is not 100% what I want from my church. You know, if we, if I had a farmer who did that, Lord have mercy, what would we do? I'd have to, you know, hire a, hire a, a, a we call a grain person to figure this stuff out. But I Wait, thought that was a great to... visual. Yeah, Go ahead. Yeah, you don't want oh, them to drop mean?
1: a pile of grain in your front yard.
0: <laughs> that would not be the, uh, you know, I wouldn't know what to do. Somebody would, it maybe would have to create a new office in the church of grain evaluator or something. But, um but it, I thought it was a great way to think about it. At least, yes. is that that first fruits giving, which is exactly what happens in in Romans sixteen. It talks this way in Second Corinthians eight and nine, just giving a proportion um first fruits that you see it as this is how I live my life. I give back to the Lord. And obviously they were doing that already in Leviticus, the free and gracious activity. So any, any thoughts on, on that analogy or other ideas you have for stewardship?
1: No. And, and I thought, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned the 10% and, and, and that's, that, that is often a very good um, number to use. But it's interesting that the New Testament doesn't talk about a percentage. It just says to give sacrificially. And, uh, and so that can be different for different people. You know, uh, 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 if you're going to go with the percentages, you know, what a widow living on $700 of Social Security can afford to give as a percentage of her income is going to be different than some guy who makes $500,000 a year as a CEO, you know. And uh, and so it, the point is, is that what we're giving is, is out of love and, and sacrificially according to our situation. and And so, you know, there might be some people... Uh, uh, that maybe could only give 2 or 3% of their income because otherwise they'd, they'd be going hungry or couldn't make the mortgage payment. Mm-hmm. But then mm-hmm. I, I have met people in, in, over my years. Uh, I remember when I was uh, at the seminary, uh, I was talking with a gentleman whose mother I was visiting in the nursing home, and and he was very humble about this. We were just talking about stewardship, and in the and and in the process of our con- conversation, he said with very humility, he says, you know, I, I think of giving as such a joy. It it, it it it's a privilege, and he says, you know, just between you and me, I've tried to increase that percentage every year as best I can, and 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 I am I'm, I'm at a point where I can give thirty percent of my income now. And I thought, wow, wow. <laughs> you know, yeah. and, 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 but, but he wasn't talking about any, and he understood, you know, it says, and there's been a couple of times where things came up. I had to back off a little bit and God understands that, but, but he found great joy in it. And so, you know, he, so, you know, he wasn't thinking in terms of some legalistic, well, what's the percentage I have to give in order to be. Uh, have favor from God. It was more, you know, I'm just going to pray to God and seek to give uh, as best I can. And and for him, that was 30% of his income. And I thought, wow, what a what a testimony.
0: And that's where, I like how he how put that, you're continually growing. One, in your understanding and the grace of God, you know, the more, the longer we live, the the more we realize the depth of God's grace, and also we realize how we don't deserve it. And And at the same time, I had a blessed person in my congregation who's now sainted and 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 with the Lord, that he uh he spoke one time, we were kind of doing a short stewardship thing, and, and he stood up and and one of his comments was that throughout my life I've realized that no matter how much I give to the Lord, he always provides. And it yeah. was just a wonderful statement. He had he had a form of Parkinson, so he struggled even to get up to the lectern to speak. And so it was just, just wonderful. I miss him dearly. Um, it's a wonderful witness to all of us of how the Lord continually showers us with His grace in all ways. And so that's what I'm feeling from these verses today, what I'm seeing as well. Uh, anything else for we, we are, on? Go ahead. Yeah, one brief sure. comment. E- even though this is all the emphasis is here is
1: voluntary. We're, we're giving out of mm-hmm. love. I, I think mm-hmm. it's important to remember, though, I, and, and, and it's important that we remember this as Christians. We, one sinful thing we have to repent of is the idea of making giving to Christ church just an afterthought, you know. Right. Uh, you know because we're no longer living under this Old Testament, here's what you've got to give. The temptation can be, well, you know, I'll give to Christ church uh, after I've done everything else you know, and if I have something left over, I'll, I'll, you know, uh, give Uh, rather than, you know, like I try to teach my members, you know, uh, go to God in prayer and, 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 and ask him, you know, whatever uh, to lead you to give what you think is, is, is something that you can, uh, uh, you know, uh, give that you can afford. Um, But, but make sure that that's the first thing you're thinking of. In other words, you know, most of us, Uh, if you want to be responsible with our money, we have budgets. And I always encourage our members to say, you know, that should be the first thing on your budget, you know, rather than, well, I'm going to, you know, pay the mortgage, pay the bills, buy a car, you know, eat out, you know, take a vacation. And then if there's anything left over, I'll see how much I'll give the church. No, instead it's like, okay, God, like you mentioned, Brady, the first fruits, you know, Mm -hmm. let's look at my income and let's start with God first and make that a a priority, uh, a regular sacrificial gift, rather than, well, uh, if there's anything left over after I've given to me, uh, I'll consider giving to the church. We have to really fight against that
0: sinful temptation. And that's why we're always growing, for sure. So let's move on here, Pastor, because this is just really laying the groundwork for the rest of our text today. Um, We are on verse 26, and we will continue to read through 29. But a firstborn of animals, which as a firstborn belongs to the Lord Yahweh, no man may dedicate, whether ox or sheep, it is the Lord's. And if it is unclean, an unclean animal, then he shall buy it back at the valuation and add a fifth to it, or if not redeemed, it shall be sold at the valuation. But no devoted thing that a man devotes to the Lord of anything that he has, whether man or beast or of his inherited field, shall be sold or redeemed every devoted thing is most holy to the lord yahweh no one devoted who is to be devoted for destruction from mankind shall be ransomed he shall surely be put to death now this is a little bit confusing maybe rehashing a number of things but we're going back to animals and firstborn so i found i found that interesting what are your thoughts
1: well this is just one example you know we we've been dealing with "Quote unquote free will offerings" up to this point, but now we get to this. Uh, we we kind of backtrack a little bit in Leviticus, uh, and uh, there uh, uh, and we're reminded that the firstborn of all animals, at least under Old Testament Israel, the theocracy, the firstborn of all animals automatically belonged to the Lord. It, it wasn't an option, and uh, and so he's reminding the people of that here. You know, uh, after talking about all these free will offerings, he says, "Oh, but remember the firstborn." Okay, uh, that's a special situation that 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 automatically belongs to the Lord, and here's the regulations that apply to that. And um, and then there's this interesting comment. I, you know, I, I've tried to think about why he would even have to mention this, but it's like if, if there's a person who uh, is under the death penalty because of apostasy, that's essentially what what, what they're talking about here. Uh, you, you can't devote him to the Lord. It's the, it's almost like well. Your initial response is well, duh. <laughs> but <laughs> I guess you you could imagine somebody. I don't know if this is a scenario. Let's say somebody's son, you know, uh, was guilty of, of of apostasy, deserving death, and he thought, oh well i'll just i'll I'll give my son as an offering uh, uh you know to the temple. It's like well you're going to lose him anyway, you know big deal <laughs> and right. and I think here you know I don't know if that was the scenario but but here it's just made it clear that if if there's something that is under god's judgment uh obviously that cannot be an offering to the Lord
0: let's continue to go through the end here. We have about eight minutes left in our time. So 30 till the end of Leviticus and the whole book. So 30 through 34. Every tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, it is the Lord Yahweh. Yeah, oh, Yahweh's. It is holy to Yahweh. If a man wishes to redeem some of his tithe, he shall add a fifth to it. And every tithe of herds and flocks, every tenth animal of all that pass under the herds staff, shall be holy to the Lord Yahweh. One shall not differentiate between good or bad, neither shall make a substitute for it. And if he does substitute for it, then both it and the substitute shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. These are the commandments that the Lord Yahweh commanded Moses for the people of Israel on Mount Sinai. Now, one thing I find interesting, and this I think I know this affirms what you've been saying, Pastor, is the reality that, okay, I made this vow to the Lord. Here's my tithe of the land. And then the Lord gives the opportunity to buy it back because life situations change. Um, right. situations change in our lives. And yeah, there's that 20% tax, or I don't know how you would define that, but but it definitely points to the grace of God that says, no, 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 you've all this to the Lord, therefore. And that that's what we should see in the church, too. If someone says, I'm going to give this to the church, and then they're not able to anymore, Then then graciously say, you know what? God's will be done, and God will provide. And I, I really see that part of grace that you have pointed us to today. So that, that's something I wanted to highlight before we get to any more of your thoughts. Uh, any of your thoughts in those last few verses?
1: You know, that, that's very good. And I think if we're going to talk about how this ultimately uh, applies to us today, you know— uh, uh, First of all, we have to remember to avoid all the the little particulars we're no longer under the the specific regulations of the old testament um uh, we uh, the, the, we're in a new um uh, uh time in history now but 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 the, the principle that we get to have the joy and privilege of supporting the work of God's temple—it's just a reminder to us how how the church is really supposed to be the center of our lives. Uh, the divine service should be something that we that that is at the center of our attention, uh, not just on Sunday morning, but we we live out from it during the week. Uh, we, we we should live in such a way that, boy, going to commune with God. Uh, at church with my fellow believers, re- remembering uh, my baptism, he- hearing the absolution, receiving Christ's body and blood in the Lord's Supper, this is, this is the center of my life as I journey through the wilderness of, of, of this fallen world, looking forward to the eternal promised land that God is leading us to. And and so I think this is what's teaching us, is that that, that Christ is the center of our lives here as we journey through the wilderness of this fallen world.
0: So as we look at the whole chapter, and maybe in reflection of the whole book, how would you, as a pastor, encourage people with these words, obviously in stewardship, but also in faith, as we move forward in this life? What are your thoughts?
1: Well, first of all, uh, you know, even though God has some harsh words to say, especially in in chapter 26, the comforting thing is that God is always remembering his covenant. You know, even when we forget him, he doesn't forget about us. And, 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 and therefore, even his loving discipline, you know, theologians like to talk about the alien work of God, where, where he seems very harsh and judgmental. But even that is an act of love to bring us back into his merciful, loving arms. He wants us to be his people. And so I, what we see in Leviticus, you know, uh, uh, behind all these rules and regulations is a God who has set us free. He's he's rescued us from the slavery of sin, so that we can be his own. As Luther says at the end of his explanation of the second article, decree that we may be his own and live under him and in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. And I think that's the gospel that the book of Leviticus is really pointing us to.
0: So, as we look at this as well, if someone reads this and been listening to us today. What would be your encouragement for the 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 normal Christian, not normal Christian, the Christian? So whatever your job might be, that you are one redeemed by Christ, you are you are involved in your congregation. And the question comes up, why would I give to the church? Everything seems to be working just fine. We made the budget last year. Why would I give? And In light of Leviticus and as we've been looking at other texts like 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, what would be your encouragement to a listener, to our listeners here, and to your congregation members of why give to the church? Yeah,
1: well, I always think of this statement I heard once, and I've used it with my own people, is that we don't give because there's a need we give because we have a Savior. And I think that sets us free from this legalistic, well, we met the budget, I don't need to give anymore to the church. Well, wait a minute. No, we we, we give uh, uh, graciously, whether there's a need or not, because we have a Savior. We we are like Him, we get to keep on giving. And, and think about it, you know, if, 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 if let's say we've, we've you know, I don't know how often this actually happens with churches, but let's say seven months into the year, you've already got enough offerings to meet the budget keep giving just think of how much more we can do for the church if if we continue to gather in gifts we, we 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 could continue to give more to missions we we could give more to the poor we could we could you know send more missionaries abroad you know um we we should think boy you know uh, uh, if we met the budget halfway through the year, let's keep giving. Just think how much more we get to do for the Lord. And that that should really be our attitude rather than having this idea, well, what's the least I can give and get by
0: with it? <laughs> exactly. And that's something for us all to remember is the LCMS in the stewardship mission talks about the free and gracious uh, giving of a child of God, of using all of God's resources for the sake of the Lord and for his kingdom. And I love how we lay that out, that it's the free and gracious activity of a child of God identity. So pastor, we ended Leviticus. We have about a minute left here. As you look at Leviticus, why, why is Leviticus important for us, uh, for the church, for the Christian, um, as, as we end this blessed book?
1: I think it's important for us because it's a reminder to us that, that uh, Christ and his atoning work as conveyed to us now through the the means of grace and the office of the ministry is really the center of our lives. Um, Leviticus uh, uh, you know when you look behind and underneath all the little minutiae rules and regulations, you see Jesus there pointing ahead to him and 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 how how do we have connection with Jesus today uh, through our baptism, through the preaching and teaching of the Word? Uh, through, through the Lord's Supper. And, and 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 that's why we support the church, the, the, that, that uh, the, the means of grace continue to be God's instruments to not only feed His church, but, but to fuel the Great Commission and, and gather more into His kingdom. And so Leviticus points ahead to that great hope we have in Jesus and our privilege in participating in that.
0: Pastor Tom Eckstein of Concordia Lutheran Church in Jamestown, North Dakota, giving us God's strong word from Leviticus chapter 27. Pastor Eckstein, thank you again for giving us the gifts. Yeah, my joy. Thank you. Saints of our Lord, I think it all points us in Leviticus 27. In honesty, all of Leviticus points us to this reality. For in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that by his poverty you might become rich. This points us also to that hymn that I mentioned before We give thee but thine own, whatever the gift may be. All that we have is thine alone, a trust from, <laughs> O Lord, from thee. This is our hope that Jesus has become poor so we might be rich, and from that generosity we are generous to others. This is our joy, this is our hope, and it all comes to us by his word. I'm your host, Brady Finnern, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands.